Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tom, favorite bad or defective kitchen ingredient? So I like stale Oreos. I open up the box or the plastic covering of Oreos and I leave them open on the top of the fridge and they get super stale and really soft. So instead of like a hard crunch of an Oreo, you get this really soft melt in your mouth Oreo. And it's one of my favorite things. It's not an ingredient. If there's a second chance or a a stale thing that I like, It's the stale Oreo. Uh, I'll still go with my salmonella chicken. (laughs) This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstroh. Tom, there is a lot going on on Top Chef. 
We got some last chance kitchen stuff. We like double episodes. The loser's bracket is is percolating. People are coming in. People are going out. It is the, the moment of chaos at, at the middle of a Top Chef season. Yeah, as if we didn't get enough of a curveball when Tom Colicchio came onto the scene at the end of the last episode and said, Gabriel and Nelson, you guys are going off into a, an immediate last chance kitchen playoff. I was like, wow, that's quite a curveball. And then they had another just total wrinkle in this with Nelson having the knee injury. And we had a part one and a part two because Nelson was out. They had to kind of... Uh, MacGyver, a new Last Chance Kitchen incumbent. It was very, very confusing, Kevin. And I hope I hope we can both hath- hash this out together because I'm, yeah. I'm not quite sure I knew what happened. Nelson strained MCL will not play. <laughs> that was yeah. sort of what came out of the elimination when Gabriel and, and he as a tag team or as a team uh, finish at the bottom. They get thrown to Last Chance Kitchen, where they are scheduled to face off against Jamie, who is the incumbent Last Chance Kitchen champion. But, as you said, Nelson can't play, so it's going to be a head-to-head. It is going to be Gabriel versus Jamie to return to the big show. Tom comes out and says they're going to do a kind of like what your first dish that you cooked um, when you were a kid. Melissa, Melissa King comes out and does that one with them, and Jamie goes with the rice. She does a rice cake with a soft scrambled egg with crab and lop chung uh, oil on top. Then Gabriel with the eggs, anchovy paste, basically an umami bomb with a corn cob custard. I thought both of these dishes, Kevin, looked really good. And I make an omelet every morning, so I really appreciate a good omelet. And Gabriel catches his second L here with Jamie winning and getting back into the race. And I thought, okay, I know there's a part one, Kevin. I didn't know what was going to happen for a part two, but they always have something interesting. What did you think about that part one with Jamie and Gabriel? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's two crowd pleasers. I, I, like you, I love an omelet. Do some tomato confit. That porcina anchovy butter looked good. The corn custard, late fall. Like he puts together a really nice looking plate. Uh, the problem is, is that kind of Jamie takes on more risk because I think doing a crispy rice like fried rice is, is you gotta, that requires time. And is she going to nail the crisp, you know, but, but who doesn't love lap chong fried rice, like the old Chinese sausage. And, and she has that sambal ginger sauce. So it was like, to me, it was sort of one of those things we're looking at it. It was like, Hey, steak and eggs. It's a great dish. Nice components. If she nails the higher degree of difficulty dish here, She's going to win, and she did. When I got terminated, I didn't think I was going to come back. But I went Arnold Schwarzenegger on everybody. I'm back. <laughs> then we get another round of Last Chance Kitchen. The part two of this Last Chance Kitchen, which we always love to watch. Brittany, Roscoe, uh, Sasha, Kiki, and Gabriel do a cook-off to get back into the Last Chance Kitchen competition. Not necessarily the Top Chef competition. I was a little confused by this. I thought maybe Jamie and someone else was going to get back into the competition. It wasn't totally clear at this point what the stakes were in this Last Chance Kitchen, right? It, it took me a while to realize, and then it was like, oh, okay, with Jamie returning to the big show, they need a new incumbent, right? So someone's going to be bounced at the end of, of the main episode and who are they going to face off against because there is no one there. So they needed a new kind of incumbent last chance kitchen chef. But couldn't that be Gabriel? Like why couldn't that have been Gabriel? It's a good question. And 
I don't know, man. <laughs> That's one yeah. for the commissioner. It's interesting. I mean, I, I wanted to see Roscoe get back into it um, or Brittany, Sasha, any of these that didn't really have a long tenure on the show. It was it was good to see them cooking back again. So one of the debates in my household is the extent to which Last Chance Kitchen is too forgiving. And let me explain. I think you and I have talked at length, and, and I, I would challenge anyone who disagrees that, that Last Chance Kitchen is sort of the the ultimate digital product for a reality competition show. Like it is brilliant, right? The fact that we get really excited for another 12 minute mini episode, um, you get to see what essentially you love about the show. It's great. Um, I am very open to the idea that there should be a loser's bracket where through great challenge, you can get back to the main show for a final five or so. Yeah. I do think I am sympathetic to the argument in my household that uh, just letting someone win a couple of weeks and get back in a final nine, like like it does cheapen survival to some extent. And I want to kind of get where you are on this. I mean, look, I love Jamie as a chef. She's not on my team, but it was it's great to see her back. But I am sympathetic to the argument that you, you start getting to you know, participation trophy land a little bit. When, oh, yeah, just everybody come back in, you know, like, like so where, where are you on the overall? Because, by the way, let's let's not forget, Tom, returning to the show is a very recent advent of Top Chef. That is the last few seasons. And I just kind of want to get a sense of where you are uh, in, on a broader scale on, hey, you lose and then you come back. Two things. One is, do they have to do it twice? Because Jamie's coming in now and it looks like they're going to do another Last Chance Kitchen re-entry into the competition. So there is a commission competition committee making the decision, Kevin, saying Last Chance Kitchen is not just one re-entry into the competition. It's two. So I question that there. The other thing I want to think think of is what if they just had like a point system where all of the eliminated chefs – can compete every episode. So it's not just like a one-on-one -on -one battle. It's it's points accumulated over time. So that way you're almost incentivizing an older chef to get back into the competition rather than just like, oh, Jamie just got eliminated and she's back. It might it might bring some more interesting old uh, uh, old comp early early elimination back into the competition. So I think the one-on-one -on -one aspect is is interesting. Uh, as a as a structure, as a format, given the limited time, you can't. It's tough to sort of focus mm. in on four or five chefs if you have multiple chefs competing in a Last Chance Kitchen too often. I don't want to nitpick on Last Chance Kitchens because we both love the show. We love it, yeah. But I hear you. Is that Jamie's eliminated and then quickly jumps back in, and like Joe Flam a few years ago was eliminated, came right back in, and then won the whole damn thing. It does seem like sometimes we get someone who just hops out of the competition right back in, and it doesn't have too much weight. Like when people are eliminated, you're you're kind of like, yeah, but you know, we might see them back in, in a week or two. So um, I love Last Chance Kitchen and I love seeing all of these uh, chefs compete. But I hear what your household is saying is that it seems maybe the loser's bracket is just a little too strong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm for one returnee, the way it kind of was. And that, that, that's where I'm at. I And again, this is not a slight on Jamie. I'm thrilled to see her. She will talk about how she redeemed herself. I, I am sympathetic to the point where I, I think we need one returnee over the course of the season, not these sort of multiple, hey, yeah, you know, I, you know, you should really have to survive last. Remember in the early season where it was like eight, nine weeks and it's just this grind, but at the end of it, and, and it made sort of, it was the, the grueling nature of 
winning week after week after week. And there's still multiple weeks ahead. They'd send someone through those doors. You had to beat them. It was just like one dragon after another into the cave and you have to kind of slay them. And I, I like that. And I, I would like to see them kind of limit it there. I don't want it. There's getting to be a little bit of a slippery slope where, Hey, everybody's back in every week. You know, that that's, that's the only caution I would say. And I still, as you said, I love last chance kitchen. It is the ultimate digital entertainment product. It's a brilliant advent. Let's touch here on what happens in part two. We have five contestants. Gabriel gets an L in the uh, elimination challenge, an L at the last chance kitchen, and he comes in and decides to do, let's back up here for a sec, what the what the prompt is. They had to do something that, wait, what was the prompt? I, I'm now forgetting what the prompt was. It was, hey, there's a lot of good shit in the pantry and just go get some stuff and make something. That was the prompt, which I kind of like. It's just make a dish with all this stuff in here. Okay, fine. That's why I don't have it written down what the prompt was because it was just kind of an open-ended thing. And Gabriel comes in and this is the age-old question. Do you do something that you screwed up on or given them so many times or do you do something new? And he decides, Gabriel, to do a proteinless salad with plums and watermelon and tomato and spices and smoked feta turns out to be an excellent dish uh, even though it wasn't something that he's been doing a lot on the show he loves this salad he says he eats it a lot um roscoe ends up with the red rice with shrimp and low country uh faro it was with pancetta it looked so good it really good Brittany comes in with the schnitzel um, with pork and caper lemon butter salad. Sasha with this uh, Calabrian uh, chili with ricotta eggs, pasta, doing pasta in 30 minutes. Tom says like, what? What are you thinking? And she pulls it off. Kiki with the pomegranate relish and sardines with the yogurt. I did not think that looked appetizing at all, Kevin. Oh, I love sardines. I'm kind of on, I'm on teen tin fish. Remember like I Yeah, but the yogurt, I don't know. I love fish from a tin. I love that Portuguese all those canneries, I, I love that stuff. So um, I, I thought it was I, I thought it was a really gutsy move. Um, it was interesting with Brittany because I mean that is her signature. I mean, that is a dish that has won her beard awards. And so to watch a chef kind of on their last leg mm. sort of say, you know what? She even said, I'm not going to leave Top Chef without doing a pork schnitzel, which is what she does in her Virginia restaurant, um, uh, her renowned award-winning restaurant. Uh, I, you know, the the Gabriel thing was fascinating. We saw a little shade um, from Kiki saying, look, all I've seen is the, uh, the guy do is steak. And so mm -hmm. he comes and does a very bright salad. Looked really good. Although it is, I got to tell you, Tom, I was a little surprised strategically. I think it's one thing to sort of say, let's switch it up. When you're one in five, it's just really hard. Like it's, you can make that the second or third best dish in a five. So you got four professional chefs you're up against. I think it, that must be the best freaking salad you've ever made. And it looked really good. I just, it was a really suspect strategic decision in my opinion. Yeah. And I think when we look at like the history of when there isn't like a vegetarian prompt, how many times does a salad win in the competition? I'm sure um, Lynn at TopChefStats.com can probably provide us the answer with that. But Kevin, look, Sasha, I'm so happy to see her back. I thought she was great in Last Chance Kitchen. I think she's really funny. I think she's really talented. And she pulls off the pasta in 30 minutes. And it's not just pasta that she made. The harissa sauce with all the different spice and, and flavor. Kevin, that dish, uh, I, I just wanted to eat in one giant like 
in my palm, just shove it in my mouth. It's it looks so good. Yeah, that like really silky cavatelli. I, this is where I, I always marvel at these people. Is just she said thirty minutes to do homemade pasta, some sauces with real depth, and and it, you know it's clear. It, look, he's going to take the he's he's going to reward he's going to award the best tasting dish, but you have to defer. And, and and just honor somebody who's able to freaking pull that off in half an hour. You know, worse is, again, no disrespect to Gabriel's salad, which looked delicious. I think I'd love that salad. It's just, you know, look at the degree of difficulty. Yep. And it's still what I love about Top Chef. It's still a show that takes that into account. The judges are very cognizant of what you had to do. It's not just, wow, what did it taste like on the plate? It is looking around saying, what level of ambition did you have? Um, we saw it on the main show as well. It's just like, you know, they, 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 they really reward homemade breads, homemade pastas, and there's nothing to get you in trouble sort of like doing store-bought anything. And so good for Sasha. Uh, she's on my team. Thrilled that she'll be the incumbent uh, LCK chef going forward for the next few weeks, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. I was thrown off by Tom's comment when he said, hey, you're going to need this jacket. Right. And I was like, wait, is she going into the competition competition or is she in Last Chance Kitchen still? And so I was waiting until I watched the next episode to figure that out. And Jamie comes back with a huge entrance back into the competition. Padma says, you know, it seems like I I don't think I can remember a re-entry with as grand of an applause and excitement than what we saw with Jamie coming back. Not just her personality, but I think she, I don't know, I, I I feel like... She is a really good chef and someone who I think got a little bit of a raw deal on her exit. And I'm excited to see her back, just as excited as everyone else. Kind of thought, though, maybe are they too excited in a competition to see Jamie back? Do you think a little bit of them was like, I'm glad Gabriel wasn't there? I think there was a comment about that is like, I'm, I'm, I hope Gabriel doesn't come back because we, he's, he's really, really, really good. But Jamie is back into the competition, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a question of if someone has to come back, let it be Jamie. Um, but, I, but I'm with you. You, you, you want to see people eliminated when you're in there. You, as much <laughs> as you might like them personally, you, you want the field to whittle. Uh, you want to be among the few, not among the many. The quick fire was the defective ingredients, as you talked about. No, no bad stale Oreos, but basically a bunch of like bruised bananas and avocados. No, not bad Oreos, Kevin. Not bad Oreos. They're improved vintage. They're good bad Oreos. Yes, it's a dry aged Oreo. How about that? A dry aged Oreo, Kevin. They do the second chance ingredients, and I wanted to know of those on the table. What did you really, really gravitate towards? I love when I buy bananas. I have to get the really bruised ones. Yeah. That is a me thing. I only eat really bruised bananas that are sugary and brown and ugly. Like, I love that. Isn't that weird? Like, I didn't even know people hated that and they like they prefer a green banana. My sister-in-law is the same way. She likes a green banana. Starchy. Yeah, I'm, 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 with, the, I'm with the soft, sweet banana. So I, I actually thought that, like, hey, if I was going to do a dish, like, I'm going straight to that one. Fish heads are actually really good. And I go to this place uh, out in San Gabriel Valley that does, like, a whole – catfish and and the head is delicious um as you said you know th- there's a lot of fattiness in the head like it, it is a it, it's a really i was i was happy to see that because it, it's a really good bad ingredient um but uh yeah so they each have to take some weird ass like discarded part of the fish or uh gabe does you know stale bread byron does mutton you know most of the lamb we eat, there's a reason we call it lamb like like it's a, a young sheep is, is typically what we eat when we mm-hmm. eat lamb like mutton is kind of a tougher lower grade meat and so he does that 
leftover wine. What is leftover wine? That was one of the items. Like, what is that? Fermented wine. I mean, I think that's, you know, when it ferments, it has a different sort of, it has a different kind of hit. Okay. And and so that, that was what was going on there. But yeah, so everyone takes their bad stuff, mushy cucumbers, which I don't like. Actually, I no. think mushy cucumbers are gross because I, I keep cucumber in there because I do this farro salad that calls for cucumber. And if I've left it in there a few days, it's just there's nothing more disgusting than taking that cucumber out and it is not firm. Portending his his demise here, Avishar decides to do a little bit of flaccid cucumber. These cucumbers are a little bit older. They're a little bit more flaccid. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I do not like a old gooey uh cucumber so that that was that was an interesting choice but shoda does do the the fish head gets immunity yes finally one quick fire <laughs> gives me confidence to be able to do more dishes like this maybe not to everyone because they are fish heads but <laughs> gets immunity and wins this challenge and we have you know just to breeze through the spoon bread with sarah with the shrimp gravy gabe with carrots and burnt bread malay jamie with the turkey uh, with corn fritters. Notice, Kevin, a lot of fritters this season. Is that like a big thing in LA? Like like the corn fritter or – I feel like it's been every episode we've seen a fritter. Don's been doing a whole bunch of them. Is it that it's a cool way to say like a fried thing? It's more trendy to say a fritter rather than just like – I don't know. It just seems like we're seeing a lot of fritters on the menu. I noticed that too. And actually, I don't know because I've just been in so few restaurants in the last 15 months. But but it is it's – it's a trend worth noting, right? Like Dawn had her fennel rose fritter a couple weeks ago. But let's talk about Dawn for a second and I know I always like to talk about Dawn. I'm just kind of going back the last few episodes. Has she done anything other than just standout stuff? I mean, when's the <laughs> yeah. last time she wasn't on a top three? I mean, I guess that Rose challenge, she got praise for her uh, Fennel Rose Street. It wasn't top three. But, I mean, the duo of popcorn, the catfish and bison, the wood-fired mushrooms, uh, you know, with the tarragon mascarpone. I mean, she gets awarded for that. The tamarind-based sirloin, which we'll do later. Like, like tuna collar here with a peanut curry. I mean, she's just on fire. She is going to be top three. She is cooking food. The judges are pleased. Um, she is like, she's here. I love collar, by the way. Great choice of all the items on there. Like going for the collar was really brilliant. Sometimes when you get yellowtail collar, at like a, a Japanese restaurant cooked, like it can be a little dry. Like my thing of collar is that you just can't, it, it can dry, but I'm with you. I, I love a good um, I love the fish collar. Um, Gabe gets uh, for his burnt bread, mole, and braised carrots. Like, gets a little one. The bottoms are, Byron, the aforementioned mutton is not what you want to do, Tartar. <laughs> that is not a meat you want to do, Tartar. And, and I think they were as friendly about it as they could be. Yeah. Maria is allergic to shrimp, but serves shrimp cake. Maria, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know. Kind of a strange choice. If you can't taste it, then don't don't prepare it. If you have the opportunity to do something else. She really likes a, a good challenge. She challenges herself. The banana salsa, okay, fine. But doing the, the shrimp cakes, I question that decision, Kevin. Yeah, um, it, it is a strange choice. And Avishar, his sort of, uh, you know, his Jingdu style turkey chop, which is kind of like a sweet sauce you see on like kind of Chinese rib recipes, was dry, had too many sauces. He had a chili yogurt. He had a another sauce, uh, the, the Jingdu. So um, he gets ding there. And then uh, we go forward. Um, to uh, the elimination challenge, which is to prepare what sixty-five meals for frontline workers, Tom, and, and, and like this is a really good challenge. And, and again, something Top Chef does really well is sort of like whether it's news of the day or, 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 or sort of larger context 
for a challenge. They do this exceptionally well. Um, you know, look, it's easy to forget. I've said it on the show several times this season. Oh, the greatest thing about quarantine is you get to stay home and cook. And the bottom line is, is essential workers, by the way, whether they're working at hospitals, whether they're working at retail stores, like those people ain't home cooking. Like these are the people incurring risks so the rest of us can function. My sister uh, is an ER doctor. So, you know, I, I have some frame of reference for this. And yeah, it's easy to forget that, that the, well, the rest of us are sitting here trying to learn how to sear duck and, and screwing around in the kitchen because we can. Um, there are a lot of people who can't. Mm, yeah. And shout out to Jose Andres, some of the best restaurants in the world, but also every single natural disaster or something that happens in the world, he is there within hours trying to raise money and trying to feed people on the ground. So um, World Central Kitchen is, is a great initiative and I'm glad that they they gave it a spotlight here. And uh, it was cool to see Maria's wife is a firefighter and that she, um, she, she this hit home for her as well. And the frontline workers having the video, little tributes there um, the, to recap the dishes, obviously moved the contestants. And we have to keep in mind when this was taped, um, you know, th- this this was kind of in the middle of a lot of different natural disasters of the fires in 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 Portland and also with the pandemic. This was a really touch and go time in 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 America. And so I actually when I was watching this, I was I was kind of taken aback by how much has changed since then, um, because this is just kind of like a, a moment in time. And uh, we, we got to see some of the personal touches here that, that they're bringing into this competition with Chris losing an uncle to COVID and how much he meant to him. So yeah, like Top Chef does this amazingly well is going for the sentimental or going for the um, tugging at the heartstrings, but it doesn't feel forced. And this one with the packaging, it worked well with the competition because I think you had to come up with something that would work well in in a Tupperware and packaging away. And some people just really did not, you know, conceive of the dish in a way that made sense and in the Top Chef ways that you have to cater your dish to the challenge. And I thought that was really interesting in this element. It seems seamless the way that you can incorporate the pandemic and feeding frontline workers with a challenge. And it is quite a challenge. I mean, 65 and, and you can see just like the amount of sheer work they had to do to prepare these well-earned dishes. Um, but 65 is a lot to cook for. And so it was interesting to kind of see the choices because there weren't a lot of restraints apart from that. You could pretty much do what you want. Yeah, it needs to be something that can fit in one of those Tupperwares and in, in something ideally could be reheated. Um, but there was a wide berth. Um, I mean, let's let's start with Shoda just because it's funny. I, we wanted to know, has Lynn done stats for people who have immunities like average finish? Like, like, like actually, we don't know. I mean, I, I think it's understood that Shoda would have been on the bottom. I don't know. I kind of remember lots of times where they go to the bottom and they say, well, you, you would have gone home. You're lucky you got immunity. You would have gone home if it weren't for winning the quick fire right. earlier. So the stat that Top Chef Stats does have is challenges won with immunity. There's been 14 winners of, of the immunity, but I don't have anything here about the phone it in factor. The phone it in bottom three with immunity. So that's something, Lynn, if you're listening, we'd love to have is what percentage of contestants with immunity finish in the bottom three? And is that disproportionate to the normal uh, rounds of Top Chef? 
But as you said, it's difficult because, I mean, I feel like sometimes they don't put them on the bottom because they're not going to get voted out. So why put them on the bottom kind of thing? Um, sometimes it happens in a teen challenge where, you know, but I, I don't like it would show to have displaced Maria or they have four people on the bottom. I, mean, I don't know. Um, but Shota clearly wanted to do onigiri. Like he wanted to do rice balls. It's a great idea. It's perfect for one of those things. And it seems like when he realized, hey, you need the short grain rice for like sushi rice versus basmati rice, very yeah. different things, like almost entirely different grains. And um, you can't do – it's just not something you can do with basmati rice. And it seems like he kind of just shut down, right? Like like my, my sushi rice isn't here, so what the hell am I going to do? I mean, I think it was a little unfair. I, I thought Gail said it right. Like you often see those sort of soft braised chicken wings or chicken legs. Like when you go to like there's some Japanese grocery stores here, like full on Japanese grocery stores, um, at Sua here in Los Angeles. And, you know, they have sort of a, Hey, let take out section. Right. And, and here are some dishes you can go home and warm up almost exactly the same conceit. And often it is that sort of soft and I'm with Gail. Like it's, it's, there's something unpleasant about it, but yet it is sort of a staple of Japanese to go cooking is sort of the, the, the not rubbery skin, but the sort of soft skin rather than the crispy skin sort of boiled chicken. But yeah, he, he clearly phoned it in Tom. Yeah. Do you think he would have gone home without immunity? Nah, it didn't look like it was that offensive relative to, I mean, we'll talk about Avishar's. Um, and I do want to talk about Avishar's quite a bit, but I, I, I don't, I don't think he goes home. And also, I don't think he. I mean, I've we've got to assume if he doesn't have immunity, he's he's totally approaching this differently. I think so. The gray poached chicken skin. I mean, that no one likes that. I'm sorry. Like maybe, maybe this is something that um, is is not with m- most ethnic cuisines. Is that you like a a, a poached. Like gummy chicken skin. I want something crispy, and and Byron does a really good job here with this one. But but Shoda just really uh, dropped the ball, and and part of that is that he didn't have those ingredients, like you said. But this is Top Chef. If you are thrown that curveball, you have to be able to sit on it and try to smash that one out of the park, even though it's an off-speed pitch. I would love to see him do some fun onigiri <laughs> one week. I'm hoping we get to see that. Yeah, and and you know the miso sweet potato drumstick just did not did not do very well. I think I think actually, if he didn't have immunity, um, he would have been in, in the bottom three. I think with this dish. But I, I um, hello listener, guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. Butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com/dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. 
ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This is a tough one. I don't think that the chefs would have the the stones to uh, the judges to to send him home, given how good he's been. I don't think this this dish was egregiously bad. Like it wasn't undercooked. Um, I know you like undercooked chicken, but there wasn't something egregiously bad with this dish. I think he should have been in the bottom three uh, without the without the immunity. So Shoda, he had a couple missteps earlier. He wins the quick fire and then falls back off the wagon here on this on this uh, elimination challenge. But he has immunity, so it's cool. Some interesting things that, that came to the surface on this challenge. I mean, one is is that oven and stovetop space is a real thing in these competition shows, and we tend to forget. You know, it dictated a couple of different decisions. One was Maria having to go to the wood oven for her tortillas, and an event that had it not happened might have kept her off the bottom. In fact, she seemed to have a really good salsa verde pork. Her main component was delicious, but she ended up serving them raw tortillas yeah. which is sort of a fatal error Maria, I, don't, I don't think i have to tell you what went wrong with your dish yeah i know what was it the pork no 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 your tortilla was raw was it on one side honestly this challenge got the best of my emotions i thought the pork the tomatillo gave it a really nice acidity to it thought it had really great flavor and i thought i thought the corn was nice oh thank you i thought you had the best stew of the day i think if it wasn't for that tortilla you wouldn't be standing here i just made a rookie mistake we also saw with jamie who ends up winning where I, I i believe she looked like she wanted maybe roast her eggplant but she's like hey there's just not enough space in the oven i'm gonna deep fry it which turns out to be a brilliant thing because there's nothing better than that gooey deep fried eggplant i mean who doesn't mm. love that when you mm-hmm. go um and so uh it is it, just a reminder that infrastructure wars within the show like as pleasant as these chefs are you ain't giving up your stovetop space if you have it and you're not giving up your oven space if you have it yeah i feel like when we have chef testings come on the show kevin a lot of them talk about that it's like what you didn't see on this episode is that you know i just had no cutting board or something like that where i had no oven space or, or stovetop so great point um pointing that out. And then you have Maria. Let me let me just go back to Maria for a second. When she goes to the the judges table, I want your thoughts on this, Kevin. When Tom or Padma or Gail says, there was one thing wrong with this dish. Do you know what it was? How do you answer that question? I mean, I think you answer it honestly. They're no dummies. Did she not know that her tea, tortilla on the other side was raw? I mean, I know there were there was a real. Wasn't she? I feel like there. I can't remember. And I couldn't see it very clearly that um, someone was like, "Is there an, like at, at the last threesome that there there do I have enough time or something?" And, I, and it seemed like she was just really stretched for time. And I'm not sure if, if that was the case, but she plainly did not know that on the underside of yeah. her tortillas they were uncooked. So that was probably what it was. I don't think she was being dishonest. I didn't think she might not have known. I always get nervous when when that question is posed because it almost exposes another insecurity that you had about your dish. And it might expose that you didn't eat your dish or eat an element of your dish. And so I, I feel like that is a landmine of a question is, do, do you know what was – there was one flaw in your dish. Do you know what it was? I just I just get uh, – I get nervous for, for people who have to answer that question. I feel like there's almost a no win there. So she's in the bottom – Look, let's talk about Chris's dish. 
almost a fatal flaw with the with the unseasoned chicken. I don't know if it's going home worthy, but man, when you're when you're presenting a chicken that doesn't have much flavor at all, that is that is a tough one to endure and still stay in the competition. Chris is an interesting contestant and we've seen contestants of his ilk before, right? Like he nails the difficult portion of the task here, which is making chicken breast on the grill tasty or not tasty, but like cooking it right and making it juicy. And by every account, the chicken breast was cooked, I think, as Kwame said, immaculately. So that is hard. I mean, grilled white meat chicken is hard to make good. I'm sorry. It just is. Yeah. Especially if you're not brining it, right? Like, and so here he is doing the e- the hard thing, which is making good. The easy thing is salt. Any idiot can add salt. And I just wonder, one of two things is going to happen to Chris. Either he's going to go out pretty damn soon because he doesn't season his food, or he's going to have an Adrian turn. And you might recall Adrian, one of my favorite chef testants from recent seasons, a couple seasons ago, right? She's sort of nerding around in the middle. She's finding herself criticized repeatedly through the middle portion and the early portions of the show for under-seasoning. Um, and, and therefore, in sort of, I think there's also this extension where when a chef under seasons, they get hit for being soulless or not putting any love or soul into their food, right? Um, which I kind of appreciated Padma's revision of that, which was not that she was cooking with no soul. It was no salt. And yeah, so one of yeah. two things is going to happen. This is going to be a pivotal week for Chris where he's going to realize, like, I'm doing everything else right. Like, this is a guy who knows how to make a sauce, who knows how to cook proteins, right? Like, one of the reasons I drafted him as highly as I did is I just reasonably assured this is a dude who knows how to cook technically, just as Adrian did, right? And there was a point in that season where Adrian had, like, her aha moment. She got dinged repeatedly for not sufficiently seizing her food. So you know what she started doing, Tom? Get ready for it. Sit down. She started seasoning her food. And that's a quick fix. It's not like it's a, a quick fix, Tom. Like grains of salt are very abundant in any kitchen. <laughs> Mine, yours, theirs, right? And so I think that's what's going to happen with Chris is he's just going to get the memo because he's doing everything else right. Like it's hard to make white meat chicken. White meat chicken is inherently dry. By the way, white meat poultry is just bleh. Unless you're brining it, like it's so rarely good. And the habanero. Yeah, I don't know about that. He didn't even realize that the habanero wasn't spice or like there wasn't much heat at all he he said i put it in there for the flavor but not the spice and that actually backfired because he was like they all said we didn't even taste the habanero so you put it in there for no spice just the flavor and we didn't get either of them so you know that was not his best dish he's fifth time this season in the bottom three kevin he is just holding on this season and you're right if he can just season his food which seems like a shooter who's going through a slump in the playoffs, like LeBron has everything else going in his game, but he he just has a hitch in his jumper. And someone just pulls him aside and says, Hey man, you're you're just you're just your elbow needs to be tucked in a little bit more. And then suddenly LeBron is unstoppable. I'm not saying Chris is LeBron here in this analogy, but it just seems like this little hitch that he has or this little blind spot can be easily fixed and then he can go on and run. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping. And I think I think there is a precedent again. Adrian to me is the best uh analogy. I mean, I think she was probably a better Chef and Chris at the time, but um, it, it was a. It, this is something we've seen before, and it is corrected. All right, let's talk about Don because Don, as you mentioned, just hasn't put out a bad dish in a long time, and and it just seems like she's really hitting her groove. The top sirloin with coconut rice grits. It's like her dish that she prepared. I was 
I was like, I want all of that. I thought she had a really good chance of winning this this competition. Actually, when they said, uh, you know, who the winner was, I expected fully that it was Dawn, and I am very much regretting trading her. Kevin, <laughs> and she kind of knows the shot, right? Like this is a, essentially a comfort food challenge, right? Like we're not plating anything glorious here. We're putting it into Tupperware. And, you know, what is really good braised meat? It's comfy, right? It doesn't, it's it's not a huge technical challenge. Tamarind is a lovely kind of tangy uh, way to do it. Um, you know, she's always so good with that little starch, like coconut rice grits, right? Like, just think about it in terms of contrasting it to Chris, let's say. Roasted Brussels sprouts in a gratin. Okay, that's fine. She always, she, she, she maxes out every component on her plates, and that's what I really love about her right now. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's just um, the maple-braised seared cabbage. I love – I'm very into like miso-braised cabbage, like maple-braised cabbage. Cabbage in general, Kevin. You know, I'm good. a big fan of cabbage. I don't make it here a lot. It's, it's not a – I don't have a lot of support for it in, in this household, but I, I, I do love – like you ever go to Vernick in Philadelphia? Um, they do a miso-braised wood fire – or like a, a, a miso braised and then wood fired cabbage. And it is one of my favorite side dishes in America. It's great. Just don't eat too much of it. You're, the people in the room might not appreciate that. It's a tough road food, actually. Yeah. But I love everything she's doing. Like even those smaller decisions are working. And and again, she's just executing. It seems like the time management thing is way in the past. And I just think she's a force. Another one of your team members, Sarah. Just comes in with the the Mediterranean dish with the falafel, the veggie falafel with hummus and flatbread that she perfectly cooks uh, or bakes. And and Kwame says it was fluffy and she incorporates what else? Mother yogurt. Oh, <laughs> I know Malarkey was saying it on his power rankings that she she's going to win this whole thing. And I, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, she is just every time out and the whole like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if it's going to taste good. And then it comes out and it's just like, oh, shucks, I'm one of the top three. Uh, she is just so good, Kevin. Yeah. Hey, look, there's a reason yogurt is yogurt. There's a reason it's loved in the Mediterranean. It's loved in South Asia. It's loved in France. Like it's like yogurt's freaking good in a yogurt mint sauce. Like falafel is just a it's just a winner. I mean, it's a, it's again really gutsy. You you go with vegetarian item, but um, look, she knows how to, she knows how to execute, and it's a really everybody loves falafel and carrot hummus. Um, good for her. I'm thrilled. Uh, Sarah is yet emerging. Another. I just feel like I'm seeing her on top pretty much every week, uh, in some form or fashion. And um, you know, Byron had a really good dish. Byron's doing some good cooking, Tom. Um, I know he's kind of the other middle. He's like the other middle brow in this competition, but that pollo la brasa looked delicious. Bright corn salad, peppery potatoes. Um, I kind of had him as a strong fourth. It seemed like um, when you were kind of looking at the uh, looking at the standings. Um, you know, Gabe uh, underperformed a little bit. Um, by no means on the bottom, but uh, apparently his chote chicken was a little dry. He had the exo sauce green beans, the sweet corn tamales, but uh, they weren't overly impressed. I had him sort of finishing fifth here. Yeah, they said there was competing flavors in there, which sometimes it's it's a compliment. In this case, it wasn't so much. I'm still confident. He's he's my best competitor on my team. Uh, him, Gabe Byron, or sorry, Gabe Byron and and Jamie are probably in that second tier of competitors. And really, Gabe has has been really strong in this competition. Not not his best showing here, but Jamie. 
coming back into the competition, having the confidence to do this dish and winning the elimination challenge. What a performance from Jamie. I'm very, very happy to see her back on my team and back in the competition. She just does a real assembles a really smart dish, right? So you have as one major component the kimchi tofu soup. Um, it is hearty, even though it, it, you know it, it's obviously not meat based. It's got flavor. It's comfy, and then you have this lovely, just sort of you know a, a protein in rice. This is kind of classic Asian protein in rice. She does a bulgogi braised pork. That lovely, just yummy, gooey, deep fried eggplant. I mean, we all love that like kind of garlic eggplant dish. You get it, you know, you, you get often at Chinese restaurants. Um, it's just such a winner, and uh, and and that's what she does. It, it, there's nothing. There, there's there's nothing overly complicated about it. But you know what I liked about it, Kevin, is that she thought of, hey, these components, I can't just throw into the soup. I have to have them on the side. And then if you'd like to add them, you can. And I thought that actually had some layered sophistication to the challenge itself that I think the, the judges really appreciated. So while it wasn't complicated, it, was, it, it, it had some depth to it. And I actually thought that was really smart. She wins this elimination challenge after bouncing back into the competition and really shows out. <laughs> She's not just a, a character who makes funny noises. She is the malarkey of this season. I'll, I'll still contend that, that she is going to hang around and she wins this challenge and I'm very happy for her. I thought Dawn might have pulled out the win here, especially with the phone call home with her lovely uh, mother, Dolores, who had uh, had the stroke a few months earlier. We saw that that foreshadows maybe more um, wins than actually uh, in eliminations when they do the full phone call home. And in this case, Don's phone call did not end up with a win, but she was very strong in her dish. So, um, so Don, I mean, she might not have won, but I just think she, she had maybe the best day. All right. We need to talk about Avishar. I was shocked because, you know, I'm a home cook. Uh, I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm basically an amateur. But a thing I learned early on is anytime you make a stew, a curry, you always brown the meat first, right? Yeah. You always, you know, you, you heat up the pan, you get it really hot, you season the meat on both sides, salt and pepper, really, that's all I ever do. And, and then you just sear it, brown it, you just get it. What it does is it locks in this flavor by kind of like caramelizing the, the flesh and it is just essential. It is what any even basic home cook knows to do is when you're making – I mean I make chicken curry here all the time. Um, you know, I do this like basil, coconut, green curry um, that, that we love. And it's just – it's a basic home cook 101 thing. I was just shocked and I adore Avishar. Um, I, I really I've, – I've loved a lot of what he's done this season. But I was just like, yeah, really? Like, like it's again – it's something I learned – 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm shocked. And the comment where he says, like, I gotta, I, I learned now that I gotta do that. I was like, wait, you didn't know this? Like, this I feel like is pretty basic stuff. And the fact that he is a molecular gastronomist, someone who works with the chemistry and the science of cooking, it seems like that would be in his wheelhouse. Is like, I gotta braise or I gotta cook that beef before I throw it in to that curry to retain. Uh, to encapsulate the juiciness and 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 retain some of the the, the seasoning and spice, it just man um, that that really missed the mark. And I thought the concept of it, like a beef curry Bengali style, um, with all the spices, 
it just seemed like, oh, that's going to be really good. And I was stunned to see that it was just so flat uh, with no flavor and the protein wasn't cooked properly. This was as big of a miss as you can have on Top Chef where there was no flavor, the protein was cooked improperly, and it just it just missed. And Avishar really surprised like you that he, that he did not uh, figure this out ahead of time. What's heartbreaking about it is like – the concept is right. Like when I was thinking about, you know, you play that game when they announce what the parameters of the challenge are, like, what would I do? Right. And my thing is, you know, I, I, I turned around, I was like, you make a one pot meal, right? You're, you're cooking for 65. You're just spooning stuff into, you know, it's one of the reasons I sort of respected Chris is like, he's grilling chicken for 35, 65, rather than just sort of, you know, browning protein for a big one pot dish. And it's like, I would argue that if he sears or browns the meat, like it's hard for a Bengali curry to be anything other than pretty good. Like, like it's hard to be any worse than pretty good. Like if you just sear meat with salt and pepper and then let it just, and, and, and you've got sufficient spice in that stew, it's going to be, t- it's certainly not going to send you home because you're essentially just braising. It's not hard. And that's what was just so shocking about it to me. Um, you know, again, as you said, what's interesting is he is a guy who understands sort of the science and chemistry of cooking. And so that 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 simple browning is just such a basic concept of how to kind of lock in seasoning. Anyway, yeah, disappointing. I was upset. Avishar, please pack your knives and go. I'm so sorry. See you in Last Chance Kitchen. Not over yet. I'll do my best. Well, Kevin, this wasn't your best week on our fantasy team. Avishar goes home. He's on your team. And then uh, Jamie wins on my team. So I get 15 points this week. You get 11. Um, So I close the gap a little bit. But still, you have a commanding 116 to 89 lead. And just like you had asked, I did a total points, not just for our fantasy league, but our total points, including the, the first episode, which is not in being incorporated into our Pack Your Knives uh, fantasy scoring because we drafted after the first one. So it didn't carry over. But the the leader in the clubhouse right now, if we're just doing accumulated points throughout the season, is Shoda with 43 points, Sarah with 42. And then I think those two are in a tier above the rest with Don at 36, Gabe Aralis at 34. Those four are clearly separated themselves in the competition, but Shoda and Sarah and Don, the three top scorers all on Team Arnovitz. How do you feel? Look, I was tired of losing, man. And look, we got a long way to go. I'm not counting my chickens, but I was tired of losing. (laughs) I was tired of losing. I'm becoming a better scout. I'm going Phoenix Suns, man. I'm I'm like, I'm firing all my scouts and just going to kind of do this by eye, you know, whatever. And it's working. Shoda and Sarah, Don, Gabe, and then at next we have Byron, Jamie, Gabriel. Um, Byron has 20, Jamie with 19. Gabriel, who's out, has 15. So just to speak to the fact that he did pretty well while he was on the show, he's ahead of the standings even though he's eliminated. Above Chris, who's at 14, Maria at 13, Avishar 10, Nelson 5, Kiki 0, and Sasha and Brittany in the negatives. So we might see Sasha later in the show. Uh, but the bottom competitors right now who are still in the competition are Maria and Chris. So of those two, Kevin, who do you think you're most nervous about potentially being eliminated in next week's Restaurant Wars? I mean, I'm still more nervous about Chris. 
like Maria has churned out, you know, like she hasn't been on the bottom a lot. Like, like again, we're still there are enough contestants in the competition where, you know, if you're a chef like Maria, who's not making other than the tortilla thing, like fatal errors, like she's not turning in as absolute dreck. Whereas like Chris is finding himself in the bottom. Like I'm much more concerned about Chris. Of course, Tom, though, Restaurant Wars is an entirely different challenge. Mm-hmm. I love Restaurant Wars. It's going to be very interesting to see who takes executive chef, who takes front of the house. Because as we know, very little happens to the line chefs in this competition. So, um, you know, it, it, it's funny. We, we love even through its illogic, even through the fact that we know this, it's a clear limitation of the challenge. Like you kind of already know, four of the, the four of the eight contestants are pretty much safe for the most part. Um, it's still something we love to watch, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, who takes those roles because this is often where a titan of a chef goes down because the big idea people tend to gravitate and the most talented chefs tend to gravitate to that uh, executive chef role and the more gregarious big personalities and commanding presences tend to gravitate to the front of the house so it's gonna be interesting i I mean doesn't chris have line chef written all line cook written all over him like is he gonna go home no he's gonna be a line cook and by the way good technical cook he's that's exactly where you want chris right like he's not the most creative conceiver so you're not gonna make him executive chef and he's a little bit of seems like an introvert kind of quiet guy he's not a front of the house guy so i don't worry about him actually you know what i revise I don't worry about him. I'm with you. You know, it'd be fun if we right now, who do you think is the most capable front of house chef in the competition? Is it Shoda, Sarah, Don, Gabe, Byron, Jamie, Chris, or Maria? Like right now, I kind of feel like Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, exactly. Sarah would be the, the pick for me. It's front of house. I mean, she's the single most pleasant person. Like, uh, I mean, she, yeah. I mean, what do you hate at the front of the house? You hate attitude. Right. Like you hate someone who acts like, aren't you lucky to be dining with us tonight? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's kind of winning. You know, it's just it's, it's just easy. She would be front of the house for me. And I also get the sense that she's sort of also like very like closet competent. I'll tell you who else could be really good at the front of the house is Byron. Yeah. Yeah. I see that too. Great smile. Great presence. Easy to be around. Almost seems reassuring in his in his kind of in his general mood. Like like that's a guy I'd have at the front of the house, uh, provided he has organizational skills. I mean, one thing we don't know about these people, you know, we learned the other week, Tom, that like when Sarah told us that Shoda is actually kind of a little bit messy, you know, yeah. kind of a little less organized. Seat of the pants. Like I didn't know that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he'd be good at improv. Shoda is not the best at improv. So if if he gets something, uh, you know, that the line backs up, he he might not be able to go to that second gear. Um, so I think that's a great point about Byron. I also think that, you know, given that he he entertains Aspen and Hamptons, mm-hmm. I feel like he puts on right. a show. He's able to um, put on a show and and really like cater to, you know, putting on a really uh, an excellent experience, um, something that y- you can't just get by uh, walking into a restaurant. I feel like he has has a certain uh, charisma that you need to have when you're having those like high net worth uh, customers at in Aspen and and Hampton. So I think that get, I think Byron and Sarah are probably my picks if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick for front of house in in the next episode for Restaurant Wars. But we have Kristen Kish who's gonna come back into the into the show. I, I was wondering when we were gonna see some of these Top Chef alums that were like Edward Lee, uh, you know, coming back to the show. Here we have Kristen coming back and. 
it's going to be a different restaurant wars. I, I'm not sure exactly how different it's going to be, but clearly if you're not going to be able to go into different arenas or different empty spaces in, in, in the public space, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to have uh, a different restaurant wars this year. And I can't wait to watch. There are a couple uncomfortable moments that we see in the preview, Kevin, where uh, Melissa says, I'm just, I, I feel really uncomfortable sitting here right now. So there's going to be some drama and I, it's always great to watch restaurant wars and it's going to be a little bit different, but man, here we are. Um, clear separation of four chefs. And I'm curious to see which ones go front of house and which ones go to the executive side. Cause you know, Gabe, Don, Sarah, and Shoda are probably the leaders in the clubhouse to pick one of those two roles. Very excited for Kristen Kish's return. She won. People forget she beat Brooke Williamson uh, for top chef. I forget what season that was. It was Seattle maybe. Um, and just one of my absolute favorite chefs who's ever graced this show. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. It's been really fun to see kind of the alums come in. Tom, very excited. Restaurant Wars, always a thrill. Memories of Lexington. <laughs> Closing thoughts for you. I just am so excited for Jamie to come back. Her antics, yes, they're funny. But uh, I think she's. I think she has the potential to win this whole thing. And I'm glad to see that she's back. Even if it seems a little cheap to have two people returning from Last Chance Kitchen, it's good to see her back. And uh, yes, I'm a little biased because she's on my team. I need I need another I need neither I need another horse to ride in this competition, Kevin, because I am I am really struggling with with Gabe and Byron and Jamie leading the way. I, I need one of those three to enter into the top top to compete with Shoda and Sarah. For Tom Pavistro, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. 